Good morning. This is the 3CR Garden Show, and I'm Virginia Haywood. With me are Sue Stevens, who's the Chief Propagator for Bushlands Nursery, and Loretta Childs, who's a landscape designer. Good morning, Loretta. Good morning, Virginia. And a lovely looking day it looks to be. And yesterday was positively hot, Mm. something that used to happen in November and doesn't seem to this year. No, not at all. (laughs) And good morning, Sue. Good morning, Jen. And I have to agree, it was hot. I was out there at the uh, plant farm at... Uh, plant, plant fair at Wandon yesterday and actually didn't realise how warm it actually got. I actually got sunburnt. <coughs> Did you? Really? A In the morning, mm, yeah. Yes, because I, I got there early and yes. there was at least 100,000 people there. Yes, I, I actually found out from a friend of mine um, that was sort of bought the online tickets about the queue that was there, so actually decided to go in the afternoon when it quietened down, but even then it was still really busy. It was quite successful, yeah. I'm talking about the plant fair, which is happening today in Wandon, which is on the Warburton Highway, about 10 minutes out of Lilydale. So anyone who's interested in going, it's at in Quail Road, which runs off the off the Warburton Highway, and it's the Yarra Valley Plant Fair. If you want to look it up online, Yarra Valley Plant Fair. And Sue and I both went yesterday and had a very good time. We sure did, and I didn't spend too much money. But I, I've, if I, I did. I, I apologise if I've got a croaky voice because I actually did too much talking to everybody. I can't believe that, Sue. Oh, no, I know. Amazing that you did. Yes, well, at, there were a lot of stalls, some some very good stalls yes and all sorts of things from beautiful plants native plants um, tools um, iron work there's just such a range of product to look at yes actually with the tools section um, my husband actually bought me because I have issues with my back um, there's a I'm just trying to think of the name of it now but anyway if you go to the fair tomorrow you'll see it today or today yes a spade that is very lightweight and very small so I can actually dig because at the moment I've been using a trowel and it's not good bending over if you have back things. But he's actually got beautiful garden forks and things. As you get older, and I'm in my 60s now, you'll find, you know, it's you can't always go out and do what you want. Well, so. I've had to give up, completely yes. give up the um, pickaxe. Yes. Yeah. It yeah. just does terrible things to my... Shoulders. Yeah. I mean, you do realise we could actually, all being in our 60s, we could just talk about being old and being in the garden and wanting to passionately do all those things that you did when you were 30 and 50. Oh, yes. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, one of, one of the things that's important is to actually moderate. And when I look at some of the younger people bending and not going down at the knees and I think oh no I mean one of the advantages of being older is we actually develop such a knowledge about gardening which yeah. is tremendous yes it is yeah makes a huge difference having that backup information tucked mm. away s- somewhere in your head you can't always <coughs> find it immediately yeah. yeah absolutely well I have the issue that I've got two torn meniscus in my knees as well so then you can't do the bending and you're trying to do the gardening so <laughs> it's just um, sort of working out 
completely new positions in the game. Yes. Well, I'll sit or I'll kneel or I'll, whatever it might be, but you you really are working on all of that. I'm you not are. I'm mention my health issues yeah. because we'd be here all day. Do you know the other thing I find is that every year I've looked at it, you actually go down with your business. You wouldn't because you're continually doing it. But over winter is when you tend to lose your strength. Yes. So doing your physio as a gardener I think is very important over winter. One of the things that happened yesterday, which I found interesting, was I was talking, my favourite stall was the very last stall, and I was talking to the person who owns it called Ben, and he was tell, he's a, also a, a landscape designer, yes. and he was telling me about a place in Garfield North where a very, very 130-year-old house had been bought and had to come down. I mean, it was just yes. a complete wreck and had a 130-year-old wisteria oh, over it. Wow. And so what he did was prop it up. Can you imagine how big? Yes. And took the house out from underneath it oh, wow. to save the wisteria. Yeah, how's that? And then built a metal, beautiful big metal structure to hold yeah. up the wisteria and paved it and you know made that the area where the, yep. the people that bought the place um, sit in the outside. Oh, but really? it took three months. I so admire whoever those people are in Garfield North yes. that were prepared to spend the money to save that 130-year-old yes. wisteria. I mean, mm. there's a 100-year-old one in the mm. Botanic Gardens yep. that goes up 80 feet. Mm. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Well, and this and this one, I saw the photos, this one had even a bigger root um, base yes. than wow. that one. It's interesting you say that. Last night we had people for dinner and they, uh, they're in um, North Carlton and a property in Northcote is getting units, something oh. like that. But it's only a 40-year-old olive, but it's still got a really substantial base, and they've gone in, they asked, look, we know it's going to be destroyed, and they went in with a small excavator and you know, pruned it back, did the job. I mean, it's an olive, so we know that tough as old boots. But, you know, it's just lovely thinking. Um, some neighbours were looking at them thinking, oh... You know, what are you doing? But in actual fact, if developers got there first, we know what would happen. So yep. they're saving it. Gone. Wonderful. I actually had that at work too because um, we've actually been bought out by Yarra View, but Ian and Lynette owned the property next door and have turned it into a Airbnb properties. And they've done predominantly natives and removed all of the roses and gave them all to me but I think it's actually really nice that people care about plants and if you don't want it that you're actually passing that on a lot of them species roses and many I'd say probably over 30 years and um, just spectacular and this of course is one of our problems we're losing garden plants which is which is why I'm on plant trust because that is an organisation that's specifically trying to um, preserve that, yeah, preserve plants that are disappearing. Because a lot of them we won't get in again. Yes, mm. yep, all sorts of quarantine, and which we've got to be conscious about too. Really Absolutely, you know, even in the nursery industry, it's a, a problem too. Um, you know, with your schedules and things, because. You have to trial your plants. You have to have your stock garden. We get a lot of material off pots is making sure they don't all sell and you don't get the material and keep them going because there are a few plants. And luckily, one of them, um, Coria Think Pink, that was out under bush magic, I actually had in my garden and managed to get it 
grew up 28 cuttings of it which now are gone into stock plants and then we can produce that again yes so it is important to mm. preserve yeah it's interesting that you know even in the nurseries this is happening yes not enough care not enough thought yes and i'm always behind that because that's the last thing you want especially with the newly bred plant that you make sure I've actually given Virginia quite a few of those plants too into her garden, spread them around people just in case anything happens. At least somebody's got that plant that you can keep that plant going again. And with the storms, I mean, that we had in June, I lost my beautiful Pisunia pinifolia, my prize and joy, snapped it in half. All my plants, my um, Acacia emerald curl, wiggled in the ground by probably three inches and it's three metres high. It just came up the block. Oh, we were lucky, but it was my garden that was... Well, two weeks ago we had another nasty storm. My garden is open next Saturday and Sunday for Open Gardens Victoria. And my biggest rose, which would be 10, 12 foot high, and my most beautiful gum tree... Not with your Nancy Haywood one, that's not... No, on the driveway, there's a very, very orange, um, huge... uh, I've managed to put it back, but it's now got four stakes, and the huge, huge gum tree. AB mentioned that to me, and I was feeling for you. Oh, look, it was so beautiful. I, I I was in Melbourne, and I came back the next day, and I literally put my arms on it and just had a little weep. And it's so wet, I can't get rid of it. Of course. I can't get big machinery in because the ground's too wet. We could only mow the lawns three weeks ago. That's since June on our property because we get the runoff and it took Alan three turns with the lawnmower. It has been so wet this spring. And when you, your, your tree fell, we're losing our side fence and luckily next-door neighbours have got all the sheds that actually hold that up. Yeah. This is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Hayward, and with me are Sue Stevens and Loretta Charles. If you would like to ring in, we can actually take phone calls for the first time in I don't know how long. The on-air number is 94190155. If you want to text, it is 0488809855. And if you wish to send an email... Gardening at 3cr.org.au. We won't read the emails till after the show. If you want us to read it, if you want us to answer a question, you need to text. But if you want somebody, if you have something more serious, you want to email it in, we'll pick that up during the week. The email is gardening at 3cr.org.au. The text 0488 809 855. And the phone line, 94190155. Sue, you obviously bought some plants yesterday. Um, yes, I have. Actually, I was very good. I picked up, um, I'd ordered a few um, different things from the Salvia Society too. So I actually um, have another form of Bulalata that I picked up from there. Um, salvia Bulalata is a very unusual salvia, yes. which, which I think you can get in only very few places, and it is got three shades of blue in the flower. PGA released it. I don't know. Um, yes, also, but under a different name. Um, yesterday I was very good, but I went and saw Philip Vaughan, um, who does a lot of grafted um, Australian natives. 
But I actually found this beautiful little plant because I don't have much room in my garden, so I'm going into pots, called Avelia filosa, which I've brought in today, which is um, it's almost like a succulent stem. Um, it will be on the 3CR Facebook page. Um, I've sent in some photos. It's part of the Goudinia family, but it's a very fine, you'd say, cottagey style. Yeah. It is very cottagey. Yes, yes. Like, I, I really like the look. I've got a cottage garden, and I've used a lot of Australian natives with exotics as a blend, but also... Um, because they flower at different times of the year, I've still got habitat for bees and birds and things in the garden. Your garden so, is a fantastic mix of exotics and natives. You, you, you wander around and you don't think, oh, that's a native. Oh, that's an exotic. They just blend beautifully. Yep. And I have to say, it's... A this, beautiful yellow. It's a lovely yellow. Yep. And it's a small yellow flower on quite a long stem, and it'd be very pretty in the garden. And succulent-like leaf. It has yes. got a very succulent-like leaf, hasn't it? And Philip said it's very hardy. It would even go into the clay soil that I have at Mount Evelyn. But it, I really love um, lots of yellow in the garden. And last year, actually, I'll share this with people because probably um, I, Lysimacia brought out a plant called Persian Carpet and they've also got one called Midnight Sun and they promote it to grow in hanging baskets and I wanted a splash of yellow through my daughter's memorial garden and other parts of a drought-hardy ground cover. And I've actually used that plant that people would use. And it's something to think about with some ground covers and hanging baskets. You can do it with um, a lot of Australian natives, Hardenbergias, mm. with um, Hubertias. Um, sometimes when you've got a spot like that that you want to fill, have a think about it. The other thing I've actually been doing is um, I have the Megaponicum variegatum abutilon, but where I've got it, I don't see it. So instead of that, I'll put it on an obelisk so it actually grows up and then it sends out the branches through. And that's the abutilon, which has both the red and the yellow yes, in a fairly yes. small... Yes, it's and, and the other one that I got, and, and um, I did get it at Bunnings, there's a new phlox called Home Fires, which is promoted for a ground cover, which is also on the Facebook page. But I'm actually going to grow that one as a hanging basket. Um, but apparently it's a drought-hardy um, perennial as well. Uh, and the other one that you grew as a ha- in your hanging baskets, was that Lysimacia, did you say? Yes, Lysimacia. It comes um, under... Midnight Sun. Um, Di Larkman had one there yesterday, a different variety again. Um, but where they're promoted as hanging basket plants, they can also be used as ground covers. And it's a really good idea, I found, if you've got a drought-tolerant hanging basket, to trial it in the garden. And this year it's, it's got a black leaf. So you've, And I love contrast to foliage, not just flowers. So when I haven't got the yellow flowers, I've got all different things, and now I've got a blacky-brown leaf scattering through it. Mm. Then when it flowers, because I find that yellow brightens the garden up and the lysimacia has a beautiful uh, flower. 
Do you, uh, can you spell lysimacia for those who want oh, to look it up? I'd have to L L Y S I M A C H I A. Yes. A lot right. of them need a lot of water, but this one doesn't. That is the trick with lysimacia. Yes. I tend to avoid them, but I notice Craig at Gentiana has lysimacia. Yes. Mm. I, I'm always, because I'm on top of the hill, you know, water does disappear for me. I have to yes. say I was tempted at the flower show, so if, um, if anybody's going to the fair, right out the front of Di's Delightful Plant, she had a new release lysimacia that had small leaves on it with brown foliage that was... I was very tempted yesterday, <laughs> as you can imagine, with so many stands and not being able to carry the bag. So my husband was uh, loaded up with all my my things, and now I've just got to figure out where yep. I'm going to put them all. And I imagine you're looking for different coloured foliage when you're doing your designs, aren't I you? I am. I'm always looking for different coloured foliage designs. I mean, obviously, a big one that's happened over the recent years are those burgundies and silvers. Yes. And, and you know, of course they're stunning, and the silver is always that light. I mean, the yellow, yes, but silver just even at night mm. I find and uh, I have the <coughs> aloe southern cross in a garden by the pool and it's underneath the brachycyton repestris so and then I've got the lamandras very very fine filly sort of um, lamandra and the tor- they are literally like torches the um, southern cross aloe and they just go right through the garden there's probably about 50 of them so you don't want to go too light on with them. <laughs> okay. Um, and it, they just look fabulous. So at night, you've got the lights off, and you look out, and here they are glowing. Just it's stunning. I would imagine you have both seen the Hymenospernum, I mean, the native frangipane. Yes. If you're talking yellow. Yes. And uh, I took a few photos on the way in, because I mean, this is what you do as gardeners, horticulturalists. Yep. Anyone can do it. You drive along seasonally, and you just see flowering this, flowering that. And I stopped, I, I won't tell you, probably a dozen times on the way in. Oh, look at that. I took a photo. Oh, look at that. Well, <laughs> if you want to come to my garden, I've got it flowering in my back garden too. Right, I've right. actually got the taller species of it. Yes. Yeah. But I've, I've noticed that there's quite a few of the smaller varieties of the yes. Hymenosporum as well. Have you have you used the smaller varieties? Because I've yes, found I they have. don't tend to flower as well. Um, I have, and uh, they... Have been we've, we've bought them years ago, yes. you know, when Bushland Flora were doing them, and uh, yeah, we just we have had some luck, and you know, the one that we used to do that was called Gold Nugget didn't yes. flower as well. That's but, the one. Okay, yes. Luscious, which yes. was bred, I think, by Peter Goldup, actually mm. does, but it's really hard to propagate. Right. Here, so right. I don't think that's on our stock list. That's one I haven't mastered yet. Yes. Um, the only downfall I find with that, like in my house, is the snails love it. Right, yeah. So I have a lot of predators. I've got to watch even some of these pots when I brought them in were covered in snails. Yeah. yeah. Good year for snails. Yeah, and they love the salvias too. Yeah. 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 All that rain, yes. if you walked up my back garden on a rainy night, I honestly could tell you I would squash 1,000 of them. Mm. They're yeah. that they're everywhere, yeah. Well, you'll, I mean, both know where I am and it's overlooking the Yarra Valley. Yes. So the, the view is huge from the Dandenongs, really, really south, all the way through to um, Kilmaine in actual mm. fact and, and Hillsville. And we have been watching the snake of the Yarra is incredible. So that has been expanding. Sort of you'll wake up in the morning and here it's expanded 50 metres. 
60 metre. It's just been, so it becomes like a lake, a river lake, and then a few days later it'll go down a little bit. And this morning, big and fat and prominent and very snake-like. It's, it's such a great view. Must be beautiful at the moment. Yeah, it is beautiful. And this morning coming out at that time of not morning, um, you actually see the reflection. It's a, a and the moon would have been reflecting in it. Beautiful. Because it's mm. a very beautiful full moon at the moment. Yes, mm. yes. Did you see the um, mm, eclipse? No, I missed that. Apparently the, the longest eclipse... For 300 years. Many, yeah, a lot of years. <laughs> yeah, and uh, my girlfriend watched it up in Cairns and she was telling it me, was, I said no. It was too cloudy for us. Yeah. And anyway, it was going to be stark before the moon rose. Mm. So it wouldn't have been as long, but um, I love watching the moon do weird yes. things. I think yes. the moon's very mm. special. Yes. About an hour and a half, she said. Mm. That's fabulous, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, that, I've got the Wurrialic Creek near me, mm. which is a very big creek. And mm. Other places it would be called a river, I think. But it's developed whole new channels wow. this, this year. I go for the, the Warburton Trail crosses it, and I walk down the Warby Trail to the bridges just to see how many bits of the creek are existing Mm. after the big rains. Mm. And and the huge gums, the Diamond Creek, along the Diamond Creek, they are uh, the Malaris, you know, right along the creek there, and uh, eucalyptus, and uh, they have just fallen across and across and across the creek, massive. It's a Viminalis that's come down at my place. Is it? Mm. Okay. Mm. And it's very tempting to start planting things that... You've avoided because during the long, long drought, but we know we'll go back yeah. there. <clears throat> I even lost my Ligostromia with that wind two weeks ago, and I would have thought, you know, that would have been right. That had been there for probably four years, but they're very heavy, mm. and that that's, I think, something you've got to think about too. You don't realise what the weight is in the trunk of something like this. Yes. Um, well, that's what was wrong with my rose. Yes. It was too heavy, so... I. It, I think we need to think a bit differently about how we prune because mm. the winds, are get, uh, with global warming, they're definitely getting strong. Yes. We're getting more really strong winds mm. and I think we need to be looking at the weight in some of our yes. plants and, and, and take and it my, out. My block is very windy and yours is too. Mm. So um, you, you really have to look and if you're putting in things, you've got to put them into protected spots. Sue is talking about Lagostromia, which is a crepe myrtle. I, my jacaranda and one of my crepe myrtles both went down underneath the Viminalis canal. Oh, no. Mm. Oh, golly. <laughs> I've only seen the pictures on Facebook, and Alan said you'd need a big chainsaw to cut that up. It is the, it's huge. The root ball is about 10 foot by no. 12 foot. It is huge. And he said, the Wandon Trees man, said, I'm going to have to cut it and then push it back upright because that's the only way I can grind grind it down. So that means tractors. I mean, it's, and I can't possibly have them in because they'll just ruin. I mean, he said I can't bring my machinery in on this. So it's going to be very interesting for the open garden next weekend. Yes. Because it's there, and it's a. I think it's a very good <coughs> example, particularly for <coughs> city folk who don't tend to get these problems. It was actually quite devastating when I woke up the morning. We had that storm. Um, we got hit really badly in Mount Evelyn. We had our power off for 10 days where mm-hmm. I actually live. Um, I have just couldn't believe it. Couldn't yeah. believe what I saw in the morning. And I have to say what the CES and the Fire Brigade did 
because when I went to work, Birmingham Road and um, Hereford Road were already cleared at 8 o'clock in the morning and that happened about, I think, 2.30 in the morning. People crew working all night. Sue, could you please tell us again the yellow one that you've just bought from... It's called Avelia Felosia. And I think we should spend, spell that. So V-E-I-L-L-E-I-A. Um, and it's part of the Goudinia family. And apparently there are 22 species that belong to this um, plant group. Um, Vilea. Yes. And the second name? Folosia, F-O-L-I-O-S-A. Folosia. It belongs to the Goudiniaceae family. And the other, we were talking about the Lysimacea that Sue had hanging, which is L-Y-S, L-Y-S-A-M-A-C-H-I-A. <coughs> and Susie, that one there, the pink, pink one that you oh, bought at Bunnings. So this is a Phlox and it's called Home Fires. Flocks is P-H-L-O-X. And if you have a look on the, um, I'm not sure if it's up there yet, but I've sent the pictures. So the the plants that I'm talking about uh, will be on the 3CR Facebook page for you to see photos. I, the reason I'm asking is I'm responding to a, a message saying, please tell, tell us what you've been talking about. Then the next thing we were talking about was the crepe myrtle. Which, yes. Which Sue has been training up a um, spire. The, the Hamna sporum, which is the native frangipani, and the Eucalyptus viminalis, which is the one that came down in my garden, which is very sad. Oh, we, and we're just looking at a photo of a fantastic Hamna um, sporum, which is the native frangipani, because they're in flower at the moment. They're yellow, and they're, and they're centred. And where did you see that? Temple Stowe. Temple Stowe. Down by the tennis courts. There's three or four of them. And they are, they meet, oh boy, they'd be 15 metres high, if not more. They're huge. I've actually turned mine into almost a standard because I've got so many plants. So I've actually got it. I don't have the foliage until right up at the mm. top mm. and then use that as the upright and then all the garden around it. So it's a great plant. Mm. Um, Terrific trunk. Yes. Yeah. So I do think people yeah. forget to look at the trunk of trees. Mm. There are some trunks that are just spectacular. Yeah, I love a trunk. Yes, I do too. <laughs> I actually do that to most of the plants because the problem that I have is I only have half an acre and people saying that's a lot but it's not enough for me is I take all the lower branches off and what's really good with that is you can create almost like a woodland habitat to then fit in. So I've got all the lower branches of my camellias removed, even my salvia, big salvias. Um, I have the main branches, my cestrum. I've, do you know what I've, I've turned into a standard is acacia honey bun mm-hmm. and acacia golden glow. And the reason being oh, is that the acacia honey bun, if you haven't got it, actually grows to two metres wide, um, but the birds use it as their shelter. And I was debating taking mine out until I looked underneath and I found, a do- honestly, a dozen bird nests. Mm. And when it rains, I can actually see all the birds going there, but I wanted to underplant. So I took all the lower story out and it looks like an umbrella. I bet. I and it's it. Because my garden's all about flowers and also creating a habitat for the birds mm. as well. Mm. And that's where you learn... 
I've got a cottage garden. It would be, it's not messy, messy, but it's birds like to have to be safe. And um, using Australian native plants and exotics allows you to have the habitat and the flowers that you're getting your um, native bees, you're getting your bees, little birds, um, little wrens, eastern spinebills, magpies are coming in. Eastern rosellas at the moment, I'll tell you, if you've got granny bonnets and you want to protect them, you need seed bags because in a day, and I've probably got about, I wouldn't be exaggerating, probably 300 to 400 granny's bonnets, all the seed pods will be eaten off green in one day by rosellas. Over my my um, table that I sit at, at outside, I've got a gum, I think it's lemon-scented, and there's... It's not very old, maybe 20 years, and there's some quite low branches, and in it I've got a wee-bill nesting. It's oh. the most exciting thing because you can just see them going in and out, and she's um, both of them, they're so little. Mm. So it is wonderful to have a habitat. It just makes it life is. so and much more interesting. Even yesterday, my in-laws are down from Bendigo, and... Um, um, it, where I lost my daughter years ago to cancer and her room, I've turned into a guest room, but it's a room that you is a garden room. So her garden you can see from the outside, but you're looking from the window to the habitat of it. And I've got an old um, trunk of a tree that I've turned into a stool, put a bird, tiny little bird bath, and while I was showing my sister-in-law, all the little birds were just coming in, um, and it's got like rocks and things. Yes. <clears throat> if you, um, birds creating habitat, and that's really important. And I've even used old um, sources, concrete sources, because it's good to have low bird baths too. And I do put rocks in it, and I often see wasps, uh, bees, all those sort of things need to drink. And the birds don't like the little birds don't like big bird baths so I've got the magpie it's like there's the one at the front belongs to the magpies the other one belongs to the rosellas and then the small birds all come into that protected area of Christie's um, and into the little dishes so that that's what brings me the most joy yeah Peter from Notting Hill has texted he has a new variety of uh, the hymnosperum and it's variegated form he says, my plant, which I've had since May last year, is already 1.2 metres high and is flowering heavily. Oh, I've never seen a variegated native plant. I mean, in a sense, the flower is almost variegated because it, is, it sort of goes between the gold and the lemon. And yes. the lemon. So it looks quite variegated when you see it, particularly on that. But I'm sure he's talking about the leaf. Yes. We must watch out for that. That sounds really interesting. Is this a newly bred plant, do you mean, or he's purchased it from somewhere? He's purchased it. It's called Golden Halo. Oh, I'll have to have a look at that. Mm. Yes, it sounds very interesting. Mm. So, so that's, that's um, the honey bun is Halwittii. Yes, yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, Say that again. Yeah. So Acacia Halwittii, you've got... Um, honey bun and, honey and Acacia green, green wave. wave. Yes, yeah, yeah. A great, Acacia Green Waves is something I use, and the Honey Bun, both of them, hardy, tough plants. And as a, uh, the Green Wave is a waterfall. It's incredible, isn't yes, it? Yes. Are you still doing that? I'm trying. Because that's a hard one, isn't it? <clears throat> it's a hard one to propagate, but um, I think we've brought them in. 
Um, yeah, the ones that I'm still working on because there's so many plants that we do and so many contracts. Mm-hmm. So it's just trying to work out how to do them all. I find I think a lot of it's seasonal because I'm finding that with the bassoonia too. You're limited. There's a window sometimes of a month with some of these hard to grow plants. You mean there's a very short amount of time when you yes, can propagate them? absolutely, and it changes per season because you think that you've got it right the year before but if you get the water, and I've noticed I have memories come up on my Facebook and I'm thinking, that's not flowering in my garden. Mm. That was two weeks, you know, the, the year before. As a propagator, I actually um, don't go just by the prop schedule. I go and have a look at the plants physically because that is the best way to judge when the material is correct to do it. And I'm finding every year that's changing so with trying to grow things like honey bun, we still got them through, yes. but the ones that we did in June did better because they worked. I thought, okay, I'll do them in July, and I didn't get the same strike rate. So there you go, yes. and that's just before it comes into flower. This is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Haywood, and I have my garden open next weekend. I'm a guide at the ben- Botanic Gardens and a member of Plant Trust. I, with me, I have Sue Stevens, who's the chief propagator at Bushlands Nursery, and Loretta Giles, who's a well-known landscape designer. If you wish to ring us for a change, we can <coughs> actually accept phone calls, 94190155, or text us on 0488809855. Um, I'd just like to announce, too... So in the last couple of years, Yarraview Nursery, and I'm not sure if people are aware of that, um, they're a nursery that employs supported workers, over 100 of them. Supported uh, workers, people with disabilities. Yes, absolutely. Um, and we're, we will actually be having a sale on um, next weekend, and it's 136 York Road um, of Indigenous, a lot of Indigenous plants. So we've just finished doing the Mordialic Freeway. And it was actually 5,000 hours of work that the supported workers have have mainly done um, with those plants. But we have got some very well-established Callistamon, King Park Special, Banksia marginata, Leptospermum continental, um, the red gum, the uh, eucalyptus, do you call calum? Camel densis. Camula densis. Yes, they're all... all It's a very interesting eucalypt. It's one of the only ones that has got an Italian rather than an English name. And the reason for that is it originally went back to Empress Josephine. It was collected, first collected by a Frenchman, and she sent it down to her uncle, who was the Duke of Camelgeli, and his gardener named it before the Kew Gardeners did, so it got an Italian name. Well, they're all in 25-centimetre pots, and a lot of them are two metres high. And That's I, fantastic. I can't tell you the actual price, but Josh, who does the marketing, said they're going to be roughly 80% off the retail price, as well as the leftover tube stock. So for people that are um, looking at getting some more Indigenous things, they might even fall under, you know, when people are building houses, there is going to be tube stock available down there. So, yeah. And you, we've, we've it's been, a very exciting street. 
I have to say, your way, because there are three excellent nurseries. And everybody doesn't compete with each other, which Mm. I think is really good. Mm. So if you go on an outing, you can go to three totally different nurseries and get... Which, Sue, you and I have done. We do. (laughs) And, you know, with lockdown, it was really good when retail was open because what Jin and I did was the takeaway section for Karanga was open. We got a coffee Mm. and then we could... It was the only way we could meet and social distance in the nursery. So we were yelling across at each other, but it was really good. It was fantastic. And they also have... The Karanga Nursery has wonderful savoury... Yeah, and do you know now at the Middle Cafe... Um, That's people, the Middle Nursery. Middle the nursery. is the top. There's the Middle Nursery, and then where Sue's working now is the Bottom Nursery. Everybody knows that I love coffee, and down in Mount Evelyn we have a coffee van, and Olivia runs that, and she, in conjunction with a um, uh, person who a caterer, um, they've put in a tram there. So you can actually go now that it's open if you've had your double vaccination and you can order lunch. Um, Devonshire teas they're doing. So it's actually a really nice outing to go and visit the nurseries. All of them have got different food, different plants. And those nurseries are only 15 minutes away from me. So next weekend you can go to all three of them and then come visit my open garden. The trouble is that they're only three minutes away from me and within my five-kilometre uh, radius, so even with COVID, I still had click and collect. I, did, I had my retail therapy. Mm-hmm. Can I just say, um, as I'm picking up on, on those plants and, and fabulous, the size and all the rest of it, I mean, coming from my perspective as a landscaper and that structure, looking at something that is two metres high, it's been in a pot. Please, if you're going to purchase them, will you please stake them? and stake them really thoroughly because we know what these winds have been like and they're going to be vulnerable root systems because they're going to need a good 12-month season to get in and I would recommend that you put three stakes in. Don't be stingy because you'd be stingy for $5 a good stake and you lose the plant. So do your three stakes really firm in the ground, give them good height and go through with your twine back and forth and you're going to have a better success. We've actually, um, they are state too, because mm-hmm. I had to take cuttings off them. So Keep talking, Sue. Oh, sorry. Yes, um, so we've only just got the main stake, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm saying yeah. too. I do that with my plants, Loretta, mm-hmm. and just make sure they're secure, especially if you get the winds like that that's and you've right. got the wet ground. Yeah, the wet ground is a big one, and... Um, to put your three stakes in from that central trunk, yes. say 30 centimetres you know, around, that's going to be the thing that's going to really hold them. But also, I've got to say, don't leave them in forever because you've, you've got to sort of anticipate that they're going to have to survive without the stake too one day. Mm. So, you know, it's, give them a year with those stakes at least and then think about them getting that strength. You know, they've talked about the wind coming from a different direction. Exactly. So we know this now. I mean, yes. we're learning every day. The east for us up in the Dandies. Yeah, when it right. comes from the east, not that you or I are the Dandies, but it's mm. the same. Yep. The east knocks them over. One of the producers here, Rose, gave me a rupestris, mm. brachychitin rupestris, which is the bottle tree, which mm-hmm. comes from desert regions up north. Yep. And it was already 12 foot high. Mm-hmm. And so... 
I put it in, didn't stake it. Within days, it was over. Yes. Yep. Put it back, mm. staked it properly, thinking, why the hell didn't you do the right thing at the beginning? Mm. And then it lost all its leaves, and you don't see them usually with no leaves, and I would look at it and look at it mm. and just left it, thinking, oh, well, it's dead, but I won't remove it till summer. It's in full leaf. Yeah. Uh, and it had the tiniest root ball, yes, how it's managed. Yes. But with that root ball, why on earth did I think it wouldn't go over? Yeah, I had to stake it. And they're, they're quite fibrous, and then they haven't got that lateral root no. system at all. It's very, very fibrous and ball-like, so yes, absolutely. And we've had another message. Both Garden World and Bulleen Art and Garden are, stacki- are stocking the variegated... Native frangipani. Oh, could you repeat that for me, Jen? Garden World. Yes. And Bulleen Art and Garden. Beautiful. Which is a very nice nursery. I think I need to find a spot for that. <laughs> you don't have room, Sue. I can tell you already. Yeah. I'm going into pots with a lot of these things too. You cannot put a native frangipani in a pot. The, the small one you could. True. Yes. If it was one point metres, that would work. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's also a very good show of native frangipanis in Melville Road, West Brunswick. So if you live in that direction, go and have a look so you know what we're talking about. Okay. I was actually going to mention too that um, I've been looking around at so many of these wonderful natives and our mid-story. Mid-story is a fabulous thing. So I was thinking about how we can really get that habitat going when you have um, if you want to be a little bit formal, there are so many corriers, wastringias. It it goes on and on and on. Yes, hedging. Oh, you know, and it's, it's you, you look around regodias. Um, you don't have to do a straight square hedge, but you can really do this hedging. Even the honey bun, <laughs> the honey bun I've done as backdrop to gardens where you put them all the way through, and it really looks like a soft hedge. So I love a, I love a hedge to be softer yeah. too. Yeah. Um, I've I haven't mentioned. Have you seen our our new Acmena, too called Pencil Red? I have. Yes. Yes. So yes. that um, we've only just planted quite a bit of that and tried to use it as a hedge, and it's going to be more upright, but it's actually got the bronzy red yes. foliage on it. Yeah. Um, I think a great alternative to just the Sizigium because it doesn't suffer from the silla damage as well. Yes. But the other thing um, that is great, like you're saying with the West Ringers, is the violet skies. Mm. If you want a hedge that's 1.2, yes. you can use Coliban River, Coliban which is River fantastic. Bellinii. Yes. Coliban Col- River is a courier for those who are wondering. Yes. Mm. And yes, actually, I'm, I've gone over to Corriers now. Down from where your house is, Gin, they've used, there's a very small uh, Bellinii. Hedge in Fitzroy. I had to look very closely because I recognised the foliage, but I didn't realise it could actually hedge that yes, as I've well. Yes, a lot of hedging of Bellinii. Really, Bellinii is a, a Coria. Coria, thank you. And what's so beautiful about it is that I think so many people think with the Bellinii that it's exotic because the tr- stems and trunks are quite red. Yes. And then you have so Chef's Cap Coria is the common name. And you always seem to have a little bit of a flower. You do. It's just terrific like that. And the Coliban River I use <coughs> extensively. Um, and, you know, there's the um, 
the chimes, there's um, dusty, what is it, dusty pink. There's just so many and we can just use them more and more. I know this, it cannot be true. However, in my garden, whenever I plant a pink chorea, it goes. The rabbits finish it. But I've got... So orange not, I've got the orange ones all over it. my garden. Annie's Delight, I think it is. Annie's yes. Delight, that's it, yeah. All over my garden. Mm. They don't touch it. But every pink chorea I have planted in the last six years has gone. And I cannot plant saltbush, the ragodia. Yeah. Well, there's one that we, one that we need to try. Um, chorea Little Kate is another one that's really good and really hardy. And pink. And it's pink, but I wonder if they'll touch it because it's probably one of the hardiest uh, for a Coria that's taller versus dusky bells that you'd put in the shade. Coria Little Kate, I've got in the shade and in the sun, and it flowers in both areas, but very hardy. I've just had a message saying one of us sounds as if we're off mic, so let's try and be careful that we're close enough because somebody's having trouble hearing us. We don't want that. <laughs> no, because we're so interesting. I know. Everybody complains that I talk too loud, so I'm sure it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you turn away. We, turn, we all do. We yes, turn, turn away. our heads. We turn yes. away from the mic yep. and forget. But I, I do think um, soft hedging is so much easier. Absolutely. Yes. I think the soft hedging is wonderful and it is going to be like the honey buns. Um, you could even use peaches and cream as a hedge too, really, be because of the height. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, I, I just really encourage beautiful underplantings too of those things. Um, recently I was looking at a, a driveway and the entire driveway is Melia Azarac, which is the white cedar. Once again, we're talking about trunks and the trunk is just fabulous. And the, the one that doesn't have the poison berries is fabulous now that uh, I think... It, it's sort of very lollipop-like, you know, with the Azarac. You, you really can... I look out of my window to that in my back garden. I absolutely adore that plant. And we did it for a job and had some left over. And I bought it and I'm so glad I did. It's just beautiful. It is. It is a fabulous plant. And and, uh, you can do some beautiful underplantings with the honey bun once again. You can use your rigodias. Um, there's a few different species of that Rigodia now that the larger leaf. Yes, um, there's Candelina mm-hmm. and there's, um, we do spinescence. spinescence, but we do spinescence silver border, yes. which has got the larger leaf again. Yes. And the Candelina, I'm just trying to think what it's, grey edge. Mm-hmm. So Rigodia grey edge is a large leaf Rigodia. See, I wouldn't even bother. Rabbits. The rabbits of Eton, Virginia's. It, and John just... Arnott finds the same down at Cranbourne Botanic mm. Gardens. Mm. It's, it's pudding. Yep. It's yep. pudding. Well, he was saying that he had to replace it, I think, with West Ginger Smoky. And he because hates... Because they ate all the ragodia. And mm. he hates the variegated. I mm. love that because it's, it survives on my damn wall without being eaten. <coughs> yeah. But, and what's... I mean, what are some of the non-native hedges that we could recommend isn't there a honeysuckle that gets used for hedging uh, yes lanicera the lanicera is, is a, well it, it's sort of um, different to your buxes it's a little bit tighter and uh, it's, it's a terrific hedge that's yeah. what you have in your garden with the pink flowers so, and I think the, the, the honeysuckle that you've got in the top gardens where you've got your smoke bushes yes yeah. is it with a pink and white flower 
I don't know about that pink and white flower with that. Maybe it's no, the, no, it's no, a different. It's a, a different, different one again. Mm, okay, mm, and very small leaf, very small, so tight. It's a very hedging sort of plant, isn't a, it? A bit like the um, wire plant, Mulembecia complexa, which is a New Zealand yes, plant, yep. and it's got such a tiny leaf. Yes. And it can be a really good way of dealing with a, um, a metal cyclone fence. fence. A cyclone fence, I've seen it a lot. And when I was in New Zealand, I saw it a lot. And uh, I think Mullenbecki is a fabulous thing. And, it, and then you can just prune it with a hedge trimmer. Chung, up, yeah. And it keeps it really Vicious. tight. It can be really tough. Mm. <laughs> and they use them at the children's garden in the botanic gardens. Well, sculpturally at, too, toporising and yes, that sort sculpture. of thing. They yeah. use them to look like... Um, kelp in the one that's meant to be looking like the sea. Okay. So the Mulembecia is trained over wire and kept pruned yes. very tightly. Yes. Well, I'm glad I googled that because that's all my back fence, what you just spoke about. Oh, <laughs> is it? Okay. It's, it's called the wire vine. I Mulem- didn't know that. And there are native Mulembecias as well, but I've, I've seen the Mulembecia complexa. which So is I've got the Lanicera all yes. across the back hedge, mingled with Hardenbergia white mist and Comtaniana purple. Oh, really? With that, with that. so then you've and got... And Comtaniana f- purple is? Um, a Hardenbergia. So then you're, you're getting those colours at different times of the year. I grew Hardenbergia many years ago now on a picket fence and mm. it destroyed it. Yes. It's too, it's too vigorous for some of these situations absolutely when they're happy i mean you, i mean it's not like uh, a wisteria, uh, wisteria but it's uh, i was thinking about the wisteria because the front of our house is completely clothed in wisteria so you can't really see the house it's corrugated iron um but from the inside we have large picture windows and you just watch the bird life all day long just coming in and it is just and it's sort of you feel like it's a little bit of your secret because they don't know you can see them so it's a lovely sort of lovely feel to do that well my kitchen window is again a really big picture window and faces west and I've got a thick and it's close to the road Mm -hmm. so I wanted the privacy so I've got camellias set back and then I've and the little bird, and then I've got a bird bath, and the little birds, because they've got the camellias to hide in, they're in it mm. all the time. Mm. It's the same thing, and and I planted it like that because I needed the privacy from the road. I didn't want to have to close the blinds nice. because I had the lights on. Yep. And yep. and it's just been fantastic, you know, yeah. just cooking away and just watching, mm. watching the little little birds, and yep. I, I I adore it, and I'm so excited about my wee bill. Oh, well, yeah, it And the thing great. with that, it's so small. I've seen it flittering around for ages, mm. but till the nest was there, I haven't been able to actually identify it, see no. it closely enough. Yep. You know, and same with the thornbills. You know, they, they move so fast and they're mm. so small, mm. but the nest has made all the difference. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. I, have you tried the atroplex? No. The atroplex, which is the other big leaf salt bush, because that's tougher. Again, in a sense. But it's, see, it's not toughness that's my problem. It's about, yeah. It's tastiness. <laughs> <laughs> I have a serious, serious problem with, um, with yeah. them just eating it all up. We have got our first phone call for I don't know how long. Oh, how very exciting. That's Hello. Very- 
Pat, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, Pat, it's so nice to actually talk to you. <laughs> we haven't had a call from, since the first lockdown. Yes. So tell us, what are you going to tell us about? Uh, I have a, a pine. I, uh, I picked it up off the street about three years ago. <clears throat> Tossed out in the street after Christmas. Uh, I popped it in a huge pot. I've bonsied it once, uh, but it's still growing very, very tall. And I think it's about time I bonsied it again. But what time of the year should I do it? I have absolutely no idea. Do you ever bonsai? I don't do bonsai, no. We do have Craig, who will be coming in soon. But I think what we might do, Pat, do you listen every week? No, but I try to. Because I, what I would, um, if Craig is listening, I'll ask him to ring in and tell you about bonsai, because he has got the most wonderful bonsai collection and he knows heaps about it. But I've always looked at it and thought, oh, that's too hard for me. So I think what we will do is we will find out when is the best time to bonsai and we will make sure one of the people next week, next week we have, who do we have next week? We have got Stephen, who probably knows, John Arnott, who probably doesn't know, and Emma Hurd, who might know. So we'll make sure somebody next week talks about when you should bonsai your pine in a pot. Could you... Could, could I also say, mm-hmm. <coughs> I love your program, but uh, could you stick more to the commonplace names of things rather than the uh, uh, Latin names? I never learned Latin at school. Yes, sometimes it's difficult because things like Coriers often don't have a common name, but I quite mm. agree and we will yes. try very hard to make sure that we don't just drop into the second name, say, and we do properly describe the plants. I must apologise for that too, but being in propagation, we actually have to know all the botanical names of the plants. Um, But I have to say a lot of natives don't have really what what I'd classify as nicknames that people Mm -hmm. would say, yeah. Thank you. That's all right. And we'll take that on board, Pat, and listen next week and we'll make sure somebody can talk to you about bonsaiing. Thank you. And I might add, we... we, Oh, that's my fault. Sorry, everybody. Um, And I might say we've also had a text in saying thank you for using the botanical names. Well, there you go. So clearly what we need to do is use them both. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Very important. And I think when I mentioned before um, Atroplex to you, well, mm. Atroplex is salt bush. Mm. Rigodia is salt, salt bush. Mm. Tetragona um, is a salt bush. There is, are so many. And yeah. you have to be careful. So we do yeah. always have to use both, both as often as we can. I yes. think that's right. We need both. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, for somebody like me who lived 20 years in London, the common names of things in London often bear no relationship to the common, same common name being used here. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And yes. description. We've got to always... Longifolia. Yes. Um, we've got to talk about the fact that this is what Latin <coughs> is also about. It so often relates to the, the look of the plant. That Longifolia probably has a long leaf. That's it. Yes, a lot of it. <laughs> I, actually, in Meg's... I was reading um, the Salvia Manual the other day and in the front of the Salvia manual that Meg Bentley wrote, 
has all the pictures of all, all the different shape leaves like lanceolata, dentate, whatever, and it carries through to into Australian natives. And also the description like Ceresia, Aureus or whatever is usually describing the colour of the actual plant and then they're describing the form of the plant in the Latin name by whatever. So, yeah, I have at one stage there it looked like a cemetery plant tags until I, I learnt them in my garden. And we have another call. Hello to Liz from Mount Eliza. Oh, good morning. Good, good morning. morning. It's nice to be back on um, it's uh, the air and being able to make direct calls. Yes, it's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> um, I went to the Yarra Valley show yesterday, which was absolutely fabulous. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. I went in, was it April? Um, yes. I think it was on in April. Yep. And, again and it'll yesterday. be on again next April. Yes, yes. It's just fabulous and had a chat with Clive and with all the superstars there and heard Jane, so it was wonderful. And in my travels, I bought a tree peony. And I've got a native section of my garden and I've got a salvia section and I've got a camellia section. And I'm wondering, um, I've realised now since I bought it home that uh, and reading the label and reading all about it, that it obviously needs a lot of cool, which winter is fine here. I'm in Mount Eliza. Um, would it suit me planting it into where I've got the camellias, the soil? I would Apparently it needs a lot of lime. It does need lime and the camellias don't, but I've got, I've got some of mine by my camellias. What I tend to put some um, crushed up eggshell around mine to increase the lime. You can just lime the peony. I, it needs sun and it needs. It doesn't want to be protected and too close to the house because it does like to be as cold as it can be in winter. Won't be anywhere near the house. Excellent. So what about what about um, in the front? I've got the native garden. Would it? It doesn't. I personally don't think it matters with which what it's near. Um, okay, and the soil. So out the front, the natives, which are mainly grevilleas and calistamins, um, is I just mulch. I just I do a what Craig. I listen to Craig, so I just throw all the flotsam jetsam of my um, mulcher. Yes, yeah, 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 onto there. So would it? So it's just I've read the label and it says it needs this all this lime, and I'm just wondering whether that will upset the soil. The lime actually is the key to having your peonies looking really good. And I got right. given a peony and got told that you need to put, but I mean, that's word of mouth, every mm -hmm. year feed it with lime. And my peonies are actually in morning sun, um, but it gets quite cold in Mount Evelyn where I live. But right. a tree peony will take a warmer spot a warmer than spot. the herbaceous peony. And you yes. very correctly bought the tree peony. I think I think you should plant. It, it does want some sun, so you mustn't put it in a shady spot, and you must be prepared to feed it. Yeah. Um, and mulch is a very good is a good start for feed. If you put very very fresh mulch on, you might want to add a little bit of um, blood and bone occasionally. Yeah. And I would be adding a bit of lime, 
as I said, what I tend to do is I crush up all my eggshells. Yeah, I do. I do that. And just I, I regularly that throw the them until they debunked us. Yes, mm. and regularly throw that around yeah. around your peony. That will help. And that won't upset the native. I'd love it in the front. We'll put it in the front. Yeah. Mm. All right. And okay. So if I, um, I, I pamper the um, peony, and it's not going to ruin the soil for the native. I don't. Think I so. don't think no, so. Not all right. at all. I think okay. it'd be fine. Okay. Just don't. I was get don't three, use them. They're so expensive. I only got one for, yes, for a trial, but I might go up today and get another two. I th- and talk to whoever. Is selling them. Mari's actually selling them. Oh, of course them. it is Mari. Mari. Yeah, yeah, talk yeah. to Mari. She's the one with the red hair. Yes, yes. And um, she was the one who advised me to get the tree. Yes, good on her because Mount Eliza would not... Although I did see somebody down there who's actually farming peonies, but what she has to do is put ice on them several times through the winter. She bought an ice machine. Oh, well, she, and you don't I'm want to be going down that dedicated. road. No. <laughs> no. No. Um, okay, well, thank you for that. I'll put it in the front then with the native. Fantastic. And just lime it occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Good. And feed it as well. And if you just look it up, I mean, Mari will tell you, but also when you forget, just look it up online and it will tell you when to fe- when's the best time to feed it and when's the best time to... Yeah. Because they are wonderful, and I do like the tree peonies. And, and when it gets big, you need to be thinking of planting something to cover the bottom of the trunk, so that'll be fun as well. Yes, yeah, okay, all right. Well, that's terrific. And I am going up to your place next weekend. Oh, fantastic. Liz, well, come and introduce yourself, please. Okay, I shall. I'll have a label on saying I'm me. Okay, <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very Thank much, you. Liz. Bye. Bye. Very good. Mm. <laughs> it's so long since I've um, taken calls that I just forgot to turn it off last time, which is really silly. This is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Hayward, and with me are Sue Stevens and Loretta Childs. And you can actually ring in. We can take phone calls. It's so exciting. 94190155. Or if you'd like to text us, 0488. 809-855. And you can always email us gardening at 3cr.org.au. Yes, well, it's interesting, you know, because <coughs> also as I was driving in once again, there is the, um, the Agonis fluctuosa, the burgundies in flower. It's, it's just. Isn't that it's, stunning? It's so stunning. And I mean, you know, fluctuosas are going, um, now are we thinking na- oh, common name? Can, have we got a common name for them? Uh, peppermint, no, it is pe- no, peppermint, peppermint tree. tree. Peppermint, yeah. oh, okay. They come from Western Australia. Right. And, yeah. the, and the burgundy is just stunning because you do notice the flower, the way it goes along those major stems or trunks. and It's just so it beautiful, beautiful with that burgundy. We've got them flowering in our stock garden mm. at the moment. And I have to say it was only a couple of years ago because I take the cutting material yes. that... I noticed it. So at the moment we've got three big ones, um, probably, oh, look, they'd have to be probably two and a half to three metres mm. tall in full flower, and that white against the burgundy looks beautiful. It well, is stunning. the crepe myrtle that got destroyed my, mm. by my falling gum tree was the very dark-leafed, the burgundy-leafed crepe myrtle. So okay. I was very sad to see that go down because flowers do stand out mm. beautifully mm. against... Well, I've got a group, I have a fairly silver and burgundy garden. I have three um, 
three of the Burgundy Agonis, and that basically came... I, I was looking out of the window, and it was leaning over at this unbelievable angle. The roots were just coming out of the ground, three and a half, four metres tall. No! And I, I raced out there, and I've pulled it back, and I've tied it, and I'm just sort of... I've repaired a little bit around it, but I, I really do think they are fairly shallow-rooted, um, I find, in my garden, and I think summer... I do. I think I'll lose it. It's the second one. I do think so. I mean, people keep looking at my root ball and saying, "Oh, well, I, they haven't got much root." Well, one, the roots are torn, mm. and two, roots don't go down; mm. they go out. I think people expect things to have trunk root. Um, what do they mm. call them? Tap roots. Tap they go roots, down yeah. for miles, mm. but the vast majority of plants, it's lateral, yeah. they go out to the side. Yeah, with the Lycostromia, they go down, no, because... But that, no, nothing can root if there's yeah. no oxygen in the soil. No, that's right. So they right. cannot go down and a long way. probably the problem where I am, because having the clay soil yes. probably wasn't holding it enough in the spot where it was, and it was wet, and over it went. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And the winds, I mean, we're on top of a hill, so uh, it's, it's no, no hiding from the wind. Absolutely not, mm. you know, and you know sometimes I think, oh, I'd love to have a, cr- a creek or a stream, you know, why didn't I buy low? And then I look at my view and I thought, that's why I did. I mean, I bought the ugliest house in Seville, mm. mm. you know, yeah. and I bought it because of the view. Yeah. Vicky from Notting Hill has said she's going to take special notice of the planting along the Mordialic Freeway now, Sue. How oh, good. <laughs> I think it is interesting how uh, where they've taken the overpasses for the trains, how well they've planted underneath some of those and made we've that a beautiful space. We've actually been doing that, you know, at Yarra View. So we've, we're currently doing the Lilydale mural bark planting, which is 50,000 plants involved with that, which is great, again, for the supported workers. Um, and they just love coming to work. People might have seen the stories. Cost has come in a few times and done... Um, stories on Yarra View because as far as I know we're one of the only nurseries that employ supported workers and they love plants Mm. I actually have a young girl and she's just currently finishing her Cert 3 in horticulture and a brilliant propagator Mm. and um, you know when we cut down the hours at work they were devastated, they love being um, doing what they're doing yeah Vicky from Notting Hill is also going to come to my garden next week. That sounds good. I'll be there too. And I met quite a few people because I don't know why, but every time I seem to go to a nursery, everybody seems to um, think that I work there and I end up filling up people's trolleys, even at Plant Multi, (laughs) and bumped into a lady and she heard my voice and said, Oh, you're the Sue from the 3CR Gardening Show and I heard you with Virginia and I'm going up to see your ga- uh, Virginia's garden next weekend as well. Mm. Now, but, my, um, my garden, for those who are wondering, is in Seville in the Yarra Valley and you can book um, ahead the, for both the plant fair today and for all Open Gardens Victoria um, gardens that are open. You do need to be double vaccinated, and they do check. They were checking yesterday at the plant fair, and we are obliged to check at the um, when for people coming in. And unfortunately, the other bad thing about um, my open garden is you can't bring your dogs because open gardens can't get insurance that mm. covers if we have dogs on the property. And in fact, mine either have to go away for the weekend or be locked up. Yes. But otherwise. 
You are very welcome to come and I would love to see you all. The address is 50 Linwood, L-I-N Wood Road, Seville. And it's not difficult to find. And Seville is on the Warburton Highway and Wandon, where the plant fair is this week, is also on the Warburton Highway. So at the moment, for a change, the Mm -hmm. Warburton Highway is having all the exciting things rather than the Maroonda Highway up to Hillsville, which usually has everything. (laughs) And we don't. (laughs) Well, we went... um, I I don't know when Chloe was on, but Chloe and AB and I went off to the Yay Open Garden, which probably been mentioned. Oh, I really wanted to do that. Yes, and what did we see? Uh, Roses. Roses. Roses, roses, and more roses, and you know, good on them. It's uh, it was looking green and lush and wonderful. Wasn't There's it? some beautiful gardens up there. Yes, really beautiful. Yes. Well, I was having one of those phone calls with Telstra the other day, and I was so frustrated. I thought I'm going to yell at this person when they eventually answer. What can I do so I don't lose my temper? I thought, oh, I'll go and count my roses. I walked round the garden and counted all 83 before Telstra deigned to speak to me. But anyway, I now know I've got 83 roses. (laughs) There you go. I was wondering, Sue um, and Virginia, also, as I continue to sort of look on the way in, uh, the Grevillea Robustas, of course, she-oak, they're flowering like mad and just looking stunning. And I don't think, I mean, as we know, it's the largest Grevillea in the world. Um, and it is just the most beautiful thing. But we do have to remember that the leaf fall is very dramatic. It's all year round, pretty much. And it's messy. So you you really got to think, if you're having a Grivelli Robusta, you plant it where they're not for small gardens, really. And you need to watch it if you get asthma, because I actually had to remove them, not realising that that was causing my asthma, because they were out the front of my bedroom window. Really? So really not a good plant. But for people that don't know, that's what they actually graft the grevilleas onto is to grevillea robusta yes. or um, bronze rambler if it's actually a grevillea that's got a ground cover form. Mm. And yeah. I think uh, a lot of the Western Australian plants, uh, Philip Vaughan I, I know does do that. Um, thylacoides, grevillea thylacoides um, is another one. And I've often with mine, I've seen the grevillea robusta coming up through the sucker and whip it off immediately but fantastic to with those western australian plants i believe that that is one of the best most hardy bases you can use somebody asked me a question i don't know this is um to do with if they graft eremophilas what what are they actually grafting eremophilas onto I don't know. Because I noticed yesterday at the plant fair that a lot of aeromophilas now are being grafted um, because they need the, the soil. Well, Western Australian plants come from some of the oldest soils in the world. It is a completely... When people say, oh, you must plant native plants, mm. I don't count Western Australian plants mm. in that because, mm. really, it's, it's completely different. Yes. It's a completely different soil. It is one of the rarest and most particular soil types in the world. They're the oldest plants in the world. Yeah. And they're not the same. And for me, if I'm planting, if I feel I should plant more natives, I should be looking to New Zealand rather than to Western yes. Australia. Yes. It's closer after yes. all. Yes. Many years ago, many, many years ago, doing a garden and, and the... Um, the anananthus, the, the woolly bush, yes. um, that was coming out, you know, and it, it was all really popular, really popular, and a uh, client seen it and said, oh, I you know, want that, and I, I didn't know. 
you know, I mean, we're learning every day and here I was, I planted a mass of them and it was in thick, yellow, sludgy clay. I planted one in the garden in Point mm-hmm. Lonsdale, mm-hmm. which was, <coughs> is just sand, mm-hmm. and it yep. grew as tall as the house. Yeah. It was as happy as so, Larry down there. The, the eremophilas are granted onto my porum. Okay, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, okay. Because I bought one yesterday for a friend and I thought it could have been onto Mayaporum. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it it does. Mm. And uh, can I also tell people that unfortunately, although we can take your texts, the producer then sends those through to me so I can read them and she cannot send pictures through. So there's no... If you want to send a picture, you need to send it by email and we can look at it during the week. But we can't we can't look at um, pictures in in the studio here. Um, Carol from Croydon, Croydon had a crepe myrtle that blew over a few years ago, and it grew from the base. I'm leaving both the crepe myrtle and the um, what's the purple one that's been killed at Mark? jacaranda. The jacaranda. I'm leaving them both because I think they'll probably both turn into bushes. I'm hoping. And Vicky from Notting Hill has written in again, suggesting that I should make a stumpery out of my fallen gum tree. That's what I did with my hakea. Um, last year when we had the storm, I lost one of two big branches of the hakea and it didn't snap completely and I've actually got a bird feeder on one level, my husband's cut in, and then the other one is a plant stand. So if you actually lose part of a tree... Um, and then I've got another tree that I lost the top and I've got an owl sitting on. So I've actually used them as garden features in the garden. We've got another call on line seven. We have Bernie from Langwarren. Bernie, are you there? Yes, good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> um, I think you're fairly knowledgeable on salvias, are you? We know a little bit about salvias because we love them. Yeah, I, I have some... Um, but I find they're a red flowering salvia, but they are very sparsely flowering. It's not on all the forms of the red uh, salvias, though. There's a lot on the market that aren't sparse red flowering. It's very. There is a salvia that's almost an annual, which is red flowering. As in hot lips? No, no, no. No, hot lips is absolutely not an annual. But... um. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Have you... Have, how big is your salvia? Oh, I've got several several of them, and I'd say they're up to oh, 18 inches, two foot. Right. And do you prune them at all? Oh, yes. I, I took notice of what you said, and I think you take them down to the ground almost. Well, it depends which ones. I would, I would um, not prune them, and I would give them a bit of feed, not um, really commercial feed, just, you know, some compost or something like that, mm-hmm. and then and, and leave them for a year or so and see if that improves. And also, if you eat bananas, no harm in putting the bananas around. No, I don't eat bananas, I'm afraid. No, neither do I. But I can but my get daughter banana does. skins, yeah, yeah, there's no worries. <laughs> Well, I mean, is that potassium, is yes, it? Yes, yes. It's just a cheap, easy way to put <laughs> potassium around around your plants, and and potassium does encourage flowering. But one of the things that when people say they're not getting good flowers, I often think, well, maybe it's because they've pruned at the wrong time. Sue, so, what I was going to say was that I'm trying to think of the name of it. You could have a salvia that I've got. 
um, that has, I don't, I don't know, but I describe it as a heart-shaped leaf that's upright to two metres, and it is a sparse red flowering one, but it's the... But the name of it has actually escaped me as whether or not you have that because that is actually um, very sparse flowering for a red salvia. I've got about 150 different ones in my garden. (coughs) But it sounds like it's not a big salvia, it's a fairly small one. Is that right, Bernie? Yeah, I I suppose. But I have seen them at um, uh, Wilson Botanic Park Ah, in Berwick and they are very... Good flowering ones. Yeah, they all... <clears throat> the Heat Wave Series 2 are a great salvia uh, for flowering too because they're actually flowering now and their flowering period is roughly October until April. Now, they've got... Um, I'm, I'm trying to think if it's called Inferno. They have a bright red salvia that they released a couple of years ago mm. if you're after a straight red. Um Yes, but I find them probably the biggest flowers there are. Yes, I think think what you need to do, Bernie, is maybe pick up another one and see if that has any, a different one, and see if that has a different effect. What, a different coloured one? Well, whatever. I mean, there's no reason not to. You get so many beautiful colours. Yeah, I'll try that, yeah. I'll see how many units. I haven't got a lot of room. No, and the other thing is I would put a little bit of food around it, some compost, or even if you... You know, bury a few of your, um, a bit of your food scraps around it and bury uh, some some banana skins around it just to see if it's, if your soil, because where are you, yeah, Lang Warren? Your soil might be poor or it might be very good. Uh, no, it is sandy silt soil. Say that again, Bernie? It's sandy silt yes. soil? Yeah, well, sandy soil does get hungry. So think yeah, about putting yeah. a bit of compost around it. Yeah, I, I will try the banana skins. That's I've heard think, that of yeah, quite it, a bit. Yeah, it's it's all, and it's a nice cheap way to do it. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, thanks very much. Good luck, Bernie. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. I don't often hear of salvias that aren't um, successful. It's just is the one that I'm thinking of and it's very sparse flowering but the red is so beautiful and so is the foliage Mm. that I have it in my garden. That's what I was trying to think if he's got that Um, and if you prune it it's one, it isn't going to flower again because a lot of flower salvias like the heatwave series if you prune them they'll re-flower disjuncted dozens. Mm. So what happens is it gets up to So it must flower on older wood. Yeah, I think I've grown it for your garden too, but I've got it in mine in various spots and it'll flower too in the shade. Um, but it's one that you can get quite frustrated with because it is sparse. Mm. But I've got it mingling. So it's a tight, if you put it in with lots of other plants, it, it's okay. But by itself, it is very sparse. Yeah. This mm. is the 3CR Garden Show. You're listening to me, Virginia Haywood, Sue Stevens, and Loretta Childs. If you wish to ring us, 94190155 or send us a text, 0488 809 Yes, I was thinking, um, as we mentioned small gardens, uh, another lovely thing, which is not anything like what we were just talking about, um, I was thinking of the Carax Feather Falls. Have you seen that? And it's a beautiful thing and it's so... Um, it, it's just the flowers. So the flowers are big, 
arching tassels. This uh, a carex is a grass. It's carex is a grass. This is variegated. Featherfalls is the common name, um, and th- oh, the not common name is carex oshimensis. Whatever that and might mean. So yes, it's <laughs> Japanese, I believe, and spreads about 50 centimeters if you let it. Once again, they're, they're terrific to propagate, as in just divide, really, mm. is what we're saying. 30 centimetres tall, full sun, tolerant or dry, and just, just lovely to have that bit of variation, you know, and variegation, I should say, really. Yes, so and beautiful. some of the grasses are so pretty. Mm, absolutely. And they stunning. give a quite a different feel, you know, if you plant them near something that's much heavier. Like I've got a rus, which which is a, a big shrub, mm. and it's just marching through my garden. And I bought from Craig up in Gentiana some New Zealand grasses that are absolutely beautiful. And the rus has got is you know is a big shrub with quite a big leaf, and to have the the grasses underneath yes. in their flowing sort of fashion. Yes, it's yes. a really nice contrast, and contrast is so often what you need in the garden. Mm. And and um, hanging baskets, and and we don't think about putting grasses in a hanging basket. I mean, it's it's a carex, it's not a true grass. And so, what's so beautiful that arching, weeping, and if you've got it under a veranda, let's say, it's glowing. Because yes. it is variegated, and then those long tasseling sort of oh, a bit oaty coloured tassels. And I had in my garden quite a lot of white flowers, which through the winter were wonderful because the light's lower, mm. and so they just they just stand out. Whereas I do find white in the middle of summer not quite as powerful mm. because the sun the, the the light is so much harder. We've now got David from Cheltenham. Hello, David. Oh, good morning. Good Thanks morning. For your show. Um, we have a, a north-facing backyard in Cheltenham, and we have planted three years ago planted a mandarin tree um, in the wrong spot. Uh, it wasn't wrong at the time, but it's wrong now with remodelling the garden. It's the tree would now be about seven foot high and about well, maybe eight foot high and three foot wide. Is that going to be possible for us to, with great difficulty, I realise, but to, to move it with help, or are we going to kill it? Well, I think it is. I, once again, you go. I've done a little bit of this work, mm-hmm. um, orange trees and and whatnot. Um, I think you will do what we have to do. Is that we no fruit, you don't want it flowering, and you want to trim it back. Um, and that yes. root ball is going to have to be. It still look. You might, you might get it in just because we've got a cooler, wetter season at the moment. Right. I mean, ideally, I, I wouldn't, um, but it still is wet. And that root ball, um, you're going to have to start. What we would do is dig around it and leave it for a few weeks, go in deeper again, leave it, and do it so that what, what you're doing is you're cutting those roots off and they're healing. And yes. then, then go all the way in. It's not like transplanting, let's say, the olive that I talked about earlier. The, um, it's evergreen and it's really, it's going to be more sensitive. But I'd give it a go. But go, go that good distance where when you cut it back, that's when you're going to start digging around where you end up, where you've cut it back to. So that's well, the drip you, line. When you say, that's right, your when drip you line. Say, on the drip line, so in other words, the outside of the foliage. Yes, that's right. And 
but you're going to prune it back a little bit. So you'll come in a little bit from that trip line because obviously you're not right. going to be able to move um, the weight of it in itself, you know. But prepare the hole 100% where it's going. Yes, I real look. I realised that we mm. we moved the lemon tree about 25 yes, years ago, yes. and that was a very successful move, and it was about the same size. But um, it, well, the, you'll need to follow the same mm, rules. Mm. And, well, and that we, yeah. we didn't we didn't follow any rules then. We were we were a bit younger and a bit more gung ho, and we just um, dug it out and moved it and watered it well, and it and it took. But yes. we're but um, we want to be a little bit more careful this time. And this tree is. Um, uh, it, it looks as though it's going to be a fairly heavy job. Mm. Yes. So, yes. So what do you do? Do you sort of put a bit of hessian or a tarpaulin or something yeah, put under hessian it? or tarpaulin and, and yeah, lift it up as you go. Slide it in and under if you can lean it over and, and cut those roots really, really clean with good, sharp, clean secateurs um, because you are going to lose... You mean as it comes out? Yes. You mean as it comes as out? As it comes out, yes. And... Uh, get it over there and water it in. But, I mean, we, when we're moving things, we've always got to consider we are going to have that chance that we're going to lose it. But oh, yes. one way or another, isn't it, you've sort of got to weigh that up and go, all right, give it the best chance anyway. And a little bit of sea, sea salt, salt when you actually... Don't yes, feed we will. it. We, don't, don't feed, feed it. But, no, don't feed it, but use sea salt. Yes. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better to get some well-rotted compost to, to um, put in the prepared site? A bit, to put well, a bit oh, okay. just to improve the soil. But I mean, you're just wanting to improve the soil. You, so if the soil's really good, where <laughs> are you, Cheltenham? Yeah, so oh, it's pure sand. Yes, yeah, so I would put a bit of compost in and, and dig it well through. Absolutely. Because yep. you're not, you don't want to feed the plant, but what you do want to put the plant ah, into good soil. Right. So if if you if you've got really sandy soil, you want to put in the compost and get it right through that sand, so the plant is going into a better quality soil. Yes, and look, I realise that we that we we may well lose it, but I thought I'd it's worth a try. You, I, yeah, well, yes. Look, if it was if it was one of those things where it was a ninety ninety nine percent chance it will die, then we might move it. But if we got fifty fifty, um, it's worth a try because it's so frustrating to have it where we don't want it. Yes, uh, and partly because we made that mistake and it was um, join the club. Silly, <laughs> yeah. All right, thanks very much. No worries. Thanks very you reckon, much. Uh, and you reckon okay at the moment to try it, even though it's beginning of summer soon? Yes, look. Only I mean, because they're telling us it's going to be a wet summer. That's right. Ah, and right. it's been so cool. I, another year, if we were in a drought year, I'd say no, you'll have to wait till next year. And yes. once once we've done it, would it be worth putting a stake it? One of these temporary um, systems of, of a water spray coming on once a day? No. No, you, no. Don't, you don't want to encourage any sort of fungus or anything like that at all. Uh, and yeah. also, you don't want to water it every day. Oh, it's only meaning the foliage, not the soil. No, well, it's still... What do you think, Sue? Okay, what I was going to say was when Loretta was talking about the sea sole, sea mm. sole is a really good product for transplant shock and to re-establish things. Yeah, um, we always use it, yes. Yes, yeah. I wouldn't be... It doesn't need... At the moment, it looks like we're going to be getting rain. Right, they're saying we're going to get rain right through summer. I think to have something that comes on automatically takes your judgment away from it. I'd rather you yes, actually were judging the situation. 
Yeah, that's right. And we are here, so it's not mm, as though we're, yeah. we're And something you do it. notice with, with your citrus, as soon as they are going a little bit yellow, it'll be, you know, cold iron, weather. It'll too. be cold weather and it'll be, you don't want to get them waterlogged. I mean, with this season, and, who knows? And that is true. Waterlogging the plant will really make it unhappy. And you'll notice that if the leaves go yellow. Yes. Yeah. So I reckon, yeah. David... Don't do right. that and do everything else you're intending. And stay. And I'll let you know. And I'll let you know next year if it works. Fantastic. Thank you. Good luck. Thanks for the help. Bye bye. Bye. And Greg from Highton would like to know how hard you can prune a French lavender hedge. Now, most of the time, I would say on lavender that you can't prune it. You're better off ribbing it out and starting again. But I've pruned two of my lavenders. French lavenders, really hard. They looked incredibly ugly mm. and they've both come back beautifully. I think as long as you don't go into the previous seasons, wood is the trick I'm, with the lavender. But with the French, I think you can go into yeah, the older I've wood. I've got that too. Okay. So mine actually needs a prune at the moment so I can go into older with that. Well, I, I, I went, one of them, I went down to, you know, a foot off the ground. So I really went into the older wood and it looked shocking. And I put plant, um, pots around it just so you mm. didn't see it. But now yeah. it has come back beautifully. With the English lavender, you cannot do that. No. So I reckon it's worth a try, Greg, but I wouldn't, but I'd be prepared. And I think they're all different, is what I was going to say. Some of my lavender are pretty hardy, and some of them aren't. Same with the rosemary, too. How hard do you go? Well, I've found with. The, lav- the Italian and the English lavenders yeah. that you ca- you do what you said you just you you take off the, top the, the fresh growth yes. you can take yes. off you know up to a third sometimes yeah. but he'd coat and those ones don't That's like it. He'd it. See, I've lost, English lost three because of also the cold weather has affected the he'd coat lavender mm-hmm. so I've lost I've only got two out of five left and I made a, a border with those. But that's all right because I put so many plants in it doesn't look like a book to now. But the, I think, personally, I think you could have a go with the French because I've done it and I got away with it. But it's going to look ugly for a while. I'd do it absolutely immediately as well. So you get as much of the growing season as possible. So good luck with that. And Ruth from Altona is having difficult, difficulty getting the native frangipani established. It was planted last year and all the foliage was eaten it now has a few new leaves but is appearing now but it is struggling any thoughts yes i don't know i mean they're they're fairly tough they are i would Mm. i I would ask was it pot bound when you actually planted it because i know that they can struggle if they're pot bound and the other thing is we have to remember that they are a rainforest tree. Like yes. when I planted mine, I was very careful not to put it on one side of my house that gets that hot north wind. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, mine's... But my other experience is that I have learned to let things be sick and let them sit for a while. It's, see, if it was eaten badly by question mark last year, you've got to give it time to this season get out some new growth and perhaps with the season we're going to have I would really hold great hope for yes. that because it's going to be more tropical let's say and that's where that's where it'll probably really go well so yeah um I was going to say too I don't know if this is true but it looks like I've lost my crab apple because the possums have used the bud from next door as a walkway 
to eat all of mm. the tops of my roses and if you lose a lot of leaves off a tree mm. is another reason that you can also lose the actual tree. Yeah. So I've actually lost my beautiful crab apple because the possums have eaten the leaves off it. Yeah. So whether or not um, a plant is affected like a hymenosperum mm. from not having enough leaves, mm. then you haven't got the photosynthesis to make the plant grow. Maybe it's going to take a while, like you said, to actually establish it. So has everyone noticed, and I know you have, the Callistamin flowering this year have been absolutely extraordinary. Absolutely. Bottle brush, bottle brush we're talking about. But the Callistamin, just stunning. I've got a whole pile of them on my dam, which... Mm-hmm. Sue's old boss gave me because she mm. said they'll grow there and I've never planted calistamin mm. mm. and I've never particularly I like a bottle brush but I've never particularly mm. liked them they are so beautiful this mm. year I just think oh thank God for having well, do them do you know what that answers your question on your damn wall because calistamins are plants mm. that you can put into boggy soil you can. and we were thinking about why the grevillea didn't work and that's your answer because I've got four yes. grevilleas that are dying Yes, and yep. I think I thought it was the cold, but I now think it's the wet. Yes. Because yes. the soil, because a lot of the soil, it being the damn wall, a lot of it's subsoil. Yes. So it's that really heavy clay. And, and the worms are breaking it down gradually, but yes. it's going to take some years before it becomes a bit more. The calistamins yeah. that Virginia are talking about are the miniature variety that we do called uh, Wee Johnny and Green Envy mm-hmm. that um, only go to, oh, look, Maximum a metre tall. Yes, they're really they're small because I have a very big view at my place, and I so I don't want to grow things up that will close off my view. I love to look at the mountains, and they are just fabulous. Yes, I was so surprised because I've never particularly liked the bottle mm. brush. I don't mm. know why. Mm. I haven't had a good reason yes. for not liking yes. them. You know how you just have a prejudice yep. sometimes. No, absolutely. I was prejudiced. <laughs> have to yeah. admit it. Yeah, um, and they're absolutely. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it's lovely to see all our beautiful natives doing so well. And yeah, oh, fantastic. Yes. That's actually in my sister in law's because I gave her some and she's up in the She's showing us both a beautiful photo of a of bottle brush in flower. And that's it's a miniature one. And they're in North Harcourt, so they actually get really cold weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the moment, we planted Burgundy Jack, yep. which I've got in my garden and Jill's got in hers. And she said the flowering this year is just amazing up there. But they've also had a lot of water where they are too. I should get a couple of those. You've got calistamins for sale, haven't you? Yeah, they're, I they're could Kings get a Park couple. special, but they're very big. Oh, no, yeah. I don't want big. Yeah, yeah take they're away like my view. four to five metres tall by no. probably the same wide, wouldn't they? Yeah, be? they would be at least four. Yeah. Yeah. No, even though I've got a big space, mm. I don't want that big a tree. Yeah, they're a great little plant for a compact garden, but a lot of people um, don't know that calistamins will take that boggy soil, which yes. works really well on my property as well. Because the other thing with them is that they also will go through the dry. Mm. They'll take both. And there's, right. not, there's not a lot of plants the, you can find mm. that will take both. Do you know what else will is leptospernums? Which so is the tea le- tree. Yes, so yeah. I've got Mirinda and I've got Mesmerise in my garden and absolutely beautiful and they flower at different times because they don't flower for that long but they will take wet clay in winter and total dry in summer. Sue's garden is very 
wet, cold and wet in yeah. winter. Mm. We get the runoff from all properties and it, you could make pottery. So the soil that I'm talking of, I've got my Australian natives in, is not even diggable. That's why I end up hurting my back if I try to dig. And actually, you shouldn't dig when clay's wet. Mm. I was reading or too dry either, otherwise you upset the particles in the clay by doing so. And yeah. people think clay is terrible, but it does provide a lot of food it for does. you. It's got a lot more um, food value than sandy yeah. soil does. Yeah. I mean, the sandy soil doesn't have the food, but the mm-hmm. it will the water will run through quickly. Yeah. Where and you know you get the very boggy soils in the and clay. You know that I don't feed my garden very much at all. Maybe every three or four years I feed it, and uh, the natives every couple of years with a slow release fertilizer. And I think you're right there with the clay. But I do put compost and all the garden waste goes back onto the garden. And I've got a lot of worms, so I'd be getting all the nutrient from that mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, and the, another thing to do if you can't fit compost bins in is just to dig a hole. Put, your, com- put your compost in, then cover it up and then go and dig another hole and put your compost in, cover it up that way. It's rotting down underneath. I did that actually trenching after I heard Stephen talk about that years ago because I've got a sloped garden bed. And what I was finding is if I watered it, it ran off. So to, I created that compost heap by digging a trench 18 inches to 2 foot deep, used it for a year as the compost. But when I water it now because the soil is different, the plants are actually in the area that's composted mm. and it catches it. Gee whiz. Yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a good mm. thing to do. I mean, because not everybody has got... I mean, I've got four big compost bins. Yes. But then I've got, you know, four acres, so it's easy for me. But yeah. if you've got... You don't necessarily want a great big compost bin in your garden. No. But you can, ha- you can dig a hole and cover it, dig a hole, cover it, and actually get, you know, a lot of your lettuce and tomato waste and yeah. all those and sort of things worth, into the ground. It is worthwhile buying a mulcher. We've got um, two different mulchers, um, but if we're going to mulch, we actually do it from the fresh things, you know, like cutting down your budlias and things like that, yes. um, which Alan was doing the other day. And then I actually just let that sit in a pile, which it is at the moment on the front lawn, and wait till it composts down. And he does it. He actually takes the mulcher to where I want the mulch so I don't have to carry it. And it just works really well to use your garden waste and use use that, yeah. Somebody has texted in, my wee Johnny bottle brush is poorly. The grevillea nearby is absolutely perfect. Exactly the opposite to my situation. And he doesn't tell us any... I wonder with the poorly is about because little John used to get a um a bit of a, a what's Boris. it it's a and and a fungusy sort yes, of it does um, a, and I never had I must say I didn't have a lot of luck with it and I gave up which you know you go back eventually but sometimes you get over it if the plants are too close together I've found yeah. so I've got two airflow would you say yes absolutely. Yeah. And I get it also on leptospermum. So you're talking about where it gets all knotty and then all... Yes. 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 Yep. And we have another call. Oh, it's also exciting. This time it is Ron from Templestowe. Oh, no. Let's not do that. Somewhere is Ron from Templestowe. I'll try line two and see if that gives us... Ron, are you there? Nope. Deary me, Ron. Oh. 
He's Ron. gone away. Yes, Ron's disappeared. Maybe he can try he's again. Got, and see, he's got mould on his callistamine, which is 10 metres high. That is huge. It is so that's huge. a fungal issue. could have also got yes. onto both of them. If you get fungal issues, that can actually spread amongst your garden. And I don't know what you'd do if you had mould on 10 metre high. high. High, yes. I no, can't I don't think so. I think what you'd have to be doing is hoping for hot weather. Absolutely, and we're not getting it. Not getting it at all. I'm going to see if line three will give me Ron. Ron, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, yeah. good. I'm sorry. I was struggling finding you. And so you've got problems with your callistamin? Yes, it's a very large callistamin, a vimanellus. And it's at least 10 metres, maybe a bit more high. It's huge. Yes, it is. And, uh, and it's right at the front of our, uh, our house in, in the driveway area, uh, low in the side, side garden, plenty of room. But it's, um, the problem is that uh, we have a mould that has actually covered almost the entire tree now. It's been progressing over the last 12 months. And it's got the stage where it's becoming a, a nuisance in as much that not only does it all the leaves uh, blacken as they uh, fall, and even you can see them on the tree, but if you can't park a, a car anywhere near it because it becomes covered in a black oh, coverage. That's <laughs> and, awful. Uh, it, it is, and I'm just, I just, I'm a bit of a loss is because it's such a large tree, what you can do about it. Sue, do you have any thoughts? Um, I'd be looking up, because it's so big, you won't be able to do a foliar spray. I'm just wondering no, if, if there's yes, an, a chemical um, that you can use, the words have escaped me, um, so that if you, you could... It goes into the ground, and it, mm. I've lost the word, because we do it in the nursery, systemic. A systemic oh, yes. um, cure to that, but I can't answer that because I'm, I'm not involved with the chemicals at work, but it probably would be worthwhile um, looking into if there is yes. anything for mould that can be tackled systemic. I'm wondering... Right. Um, oh, I've got a mental blank on all the chemical names at the moment. Well, I mean, there's there what, is, we, what we might do, Ron... Mm-hmm. This isn't a plan yep. to make you listen next week, but nevertheless, listen next week. And we're, next week we've got Stephen Ryan, John Arnott and Emma Hurd. Yes. And I will put to probably John, ask him to find a solution to a 10-metre-high callistamine with, um, yes. with mould. And, yes, and, and even and when the little nuts, uh, the, the seed pods drop, it's just... All black. <laughs> you know, the branches are black and uh, the minor branches that fall, particularly as high wind, there's been a lot of branches drop, of course, we've had. And uh, it's just a, that, that's really the thing you can sweep up. It's, it's so mm-hmm. much so that I'm, the tree looks healthy from a distance. In yeah. other words, it's not dying as far as you could see, but it's the, I'm wondering whether um, in time it, it may cause it to, to become very sick and perhaps die. And uh, I think for a, a possibly it will if you don't. Have a go at fixing it. Can we yes. can I suggest you have a listen next week? And yes, I, I will do. Mm. Yeah. There are the eco oils too. So I'd really try and look, to, being so big, um, you really want to look at something natural, um, yes. not yes. something nasty. So oh, the yes, eco oils are very uh, good. We're in a suburban neighbourhood, and if and I the other get thing, some to spray, it'll go everywhere. You probably need to get somebody with a cherry picker, so you can, if yes. say you're going to use the eco oil, so you could get to the top. So it's, I think it's going mm. to cost you. 
But yeah. let's ha- let's see what somebody next week might suggest. The other thing I was going to say is a lot of the time, because I'm dealing with plants like that, it's actually also on the underside of the leaf, which then becomes really hard to spray. That's where it is, actually. Yes. It, it, every leaf that drops, it's the underside black. The top is, it looks quite, most of it looks quite well, normal. Well, Ron, can I get you to listen in next week? Yes, uh, you can do. And, and oh. by the way, someone, uh, the lady who first spoke to me said that uh, someone at her work is that the lady that she works or or, or actually goes to Karanga? Um, I work at Bushland Flora, but I do go oh, to Karanga too. Yes, but she the there's three nurseries. There's a, which we call Karanga the top one, the middle one, and the bottom one. Sue works in the bot works for the bottom one. Oh yes, I know the yep. in York Road. Yep, and yep. she visits all three because we're addicted to nurseries. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have been to Karanga, the first, the top one. Um, but I haven't been to the other two. But I, I well, I think you, I think I, you should go I to the other two as well. <laughs> yes, yes. But, but I actually, even though I work for them, we have a lot of uh, nursery sites as well. So I actually work on Clegg Road, which is part yes. of the bushland part of Yarra View. So there are three nursery sites that belong to Yarra View. So all the retail and part of the propagation is at Yarra View. We oh, do, I see, yes. yeah. Well, we'll, oh, we'll, okay. hope well thank you for your help. Yep, I'll, and I'll listen next, next week. week. Yes, thanks so much. Fantastic, that's fantastic. Oops, wrong one. And I, Paul from, has lost his Leptospermum burgundy queen, which he planted 25 years ago. He wants to plant another one. What sort of Leptospermum, everybody, is a tea tree? What would you two recommend? Well, there's white very, opal very quickly. and there's copper glow. Yes. I know, white opal. Is one and copper glow. I think white opal is more is a stronger burgundy. Even though, no, it's the copper, copper glow. glow. Yeah, yes. that's the one. That's a good one. And the other one I was going to say, if you can get for the colour, is lavender queen. And I'm afraid, Gloria from Bulleen, we can't talk to you now because we've only got another minute before we have to go off air. So I'm sorry about that. Maybe you could also ring in next week because next week it will be Stephen Ryan. John Arnott and Emma Hurd, all three people with absolutely excellent, excellent um, information to share with you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.